Welcome to another episode of the Foul Life's SCI Foul Thoughts. This time, host Chad Belding is being joined by SCI dignitaries. Thank you, Laird Hamberlin, President and CEO of SCI, the CEO of the SCI Foundation, Mr. Brooke Minks, M-I-N-X. He is the president of the SCI Foundation. Get involved in both. Although he has hunted all kinds of species all over the world, Brooke Minks still relishes the rush he gets from waterfowling. You've hunted all over the world, and you've had a lot of big trophy animals. How is it that ducks could get you guys so excited. Because I get to pull the trigger more than once. It's a social sport. It's so exciting. And it's an art. You know, shotgunning is an art. Laird Hamberlin is an accomplished hunter with a resume that few others could even dream of. I think you've hunted in 70 countries, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I've taken over 200 species. I'm in the 230s now, and, and a white-tailed deer is one species. So tell them about that ring there. Yeah. World Hunting Club, right? It's the World Hunting Award ring, so you got to take 219 different species just to get this ring, and, and there's only 90 of us that have done it. I guess 95 after the awards Worldwide? Worldwide. Together, they're at the helm of SCI and the SCI Foundation, working to defend the freedom to hunt and promote wildlife conservation worldwide. When did it change for SCI? Because I never thought of being a member of SCI when I started my duck hunting career. I never had aspirations of going to Africa, and that's what I always thought SCI was. Safari is a Swahili word for journey, and it doesn't matter if it's a journey from one city to the next, one county to the next, one state to the next. Compared to other organizations, 70% of the funds raised stay in the local areas. The Foul Life's SCI Foul Thoughts is made possible by Safari Club International, Benelli, Federal Premium Black Cloud, Jargon Game Calls, and the provider. Let's get to it. Laird, were you being serious when you kept telling Brooke that you were the one shooting all the geese and he was probably missing most shots? I know he was missing most shots, and we're going to have it on camera that we can verify it so Brooke can talk all he wants. I know for a fact that oh I was having to God. back him up oh every single time. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a little embarrassing, I think, there for a long time. I, I started shooting my own in the beginning, and then I was looking out of the corner of my eye at the ones that were getting away, and, and none of the ones that Brooke were shooting at were falling. So I said, well, you know, I... I need to help this brother out, so I'm going to just sit here and let him shoot, and then you know I'll shoot right after him so that he can feel like he got it. Type that thing. is such kind of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude! I'm right in the middle. All I know is the geese are falling in front of me. And you're over there to the left, and it's not happening. In fact, you'll see on TV where there's one that's flying away that I shoot it and drop it about 80 yards after he missed it. Twice. No, here, here's the truth of the matter. The reason why they were falling in front of you is because your kids, Colin and Mackenzie were doing a fantastic job oh shooting and they were God. getting everything to the right. I was getting everything to the left and you, they were just falling in front of you because we knew you didn't want to have to walk real far to go get them. And, you know, we he's, didn't a, to... he's a legend in his own mind. That's all I can say. <laughs> when you, when, when you, and I love legend in your own mind because he, he is a good shot, though. Larry yeah. can shoot. I've, yeah, I, I, I can give him that he's a good shot. Let me, let me ask <laughs> he's you. He's not one. as good as me. Oh. How hard is calling the shot, though? And I know Rocky's giving me heck the whole time. I'm giving yeah. Rocky heck the whole time. But, those geese, there's a lot of them, and you're trying to spread them out across the – and a lot of them kept trying to light over on yeah. the left side. It, it becomes a difficult task sometimes where it looks – it seems like an easy task to say get them. But when you're trying to get everybody in the mix yeah. and spread those geese across, you, you agree. kind of, it, it, it gets pretty well, I difficult. Think you, yeah, I think you've got a couple things going on there. One, you want them on the left where you are, and we all understand that. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly, when the camera's looking at it, versus us looking at it. When we look at it, they're really close. I mean, they're like 10 yards. They're landing, and on the video, they look like they're a little 
further away. So you got to get them close. And right, it's there's an art to know when to call the shot. But as long as they got feet down and they're doing that backpedal thing, you're good. Well, and and, and look, you're, you're looking what's behind them too. It's not just the three or six or ten that are about to light right on top of you. It's the hundred or two hundred or three hundred that are coming in yeah. right behind them, and and you want to say, okay. We can get all six of these that are putting their feet down and doing the backward flap to, to light, or we can wait another 10 seconds, 15, 20 seconds for these hundred to come in and start funneling and doing their flipping and all that kind of good stuff. And it's tough. I mean, that's a tough job. I, I tell you what happened to me one time, you know, this hunting season after I hunted with you and, and calling the shot, we had some ducks circling and they circled the first time, circled the second time. And, and, and you think, okay, are they going to come and go that third time and then come in on the fourth time? They're going to do it fourth time and come in on the fifth time. And finally they, they just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And, and my buddies were like, Larry, when are you going to call the shot? When are you going to call the shot? And I'm thinking, is this a Chad moment? Do I call it now or what do I do? <laughs> and I, we finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was not letting them circle again, which yeah. they probably would have, but I, I wasn't going to do it. I said, take them and, you know, get them boys and and we got them all but it's hard it really is hard well yeah come on now let's tell the truth here man now when those geese were coming in which was incredible and amazing as you've seen on the video i've been 40 years ago i was a guide I used to have my own hunting service a long time ago. So And now he's he, a lawyer, so let's clear that up. So he went from <laughs> one extreme to the next. A, good, a big lawyer. <laughs> a big-time lawyer. Anywhere to make money. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but the important point was when those geese are coming in there landing, I'm not shooting those geese. I'm shooting the ones that are up and back and behind because I know everybody's going to mow those down, yeah, which is what happened. Easy yeah. target. Yeah. Let, me, let me ask so you So when you so. see the ones falling in the background – that's yeah, me, that's right. not he, Larry. So we're chat. We we're gonna have to after this podcast. We're gonna have to show both the visual podcast and the audio podcast. We're gonna have to show the true pictures, the video of Please those do. shots. And you can slow it down. Please. You know who's shooting what. Oh, we had cameras. Right cameras, right cameras everywhere. So it's we're gonna the truth's gonna come out, and then I'm gonna Hopefully. call you out all the time. You know. Oh yeah, <laughs> sure. The guy that goes to Mississippi that has no ducks. I don't know what you're talking about. You dropped a bunch of ducks. <laughs> how, how how does it work? work in your guys's minds and we're at the convention here in nashville what another 52nd annual sci convention yeah. congratulations on everything this has been amazing we're on day three on friday right now but tell me both of you for a little bit of you've hunted all over the world and you've had a lot of big trophy animals okay quote unquote a trophy can mean anything to anybody but you've had a lot of animals in many countries in your crosshairs how do, is it that ducks could get you guys so excited when you've hunted the biggest sheep, the biggest, the dangerous five of Africa, you've hunted the stag in New Zealand and Argentina, you've done it all. How could a little speckle belly goose or a mallard duck or a green winged teal get somebody so excited that has had all those experiences? Because I get to pull the trigger more than once. You like That's, that about it? Yeah. And, and it's such, a, it's, a, it's a social sport. It's so exciting. I mean, you're out there in the morning, you know, you got the darkness and you're putting the decoys out and then... You know, it's not just if I was chasing an eland, I might be walking 10 or 12 miles during the day. If I was hunting a leopard, I might be sitting in a blind. And it's all about shot placement and it all occurs in about five seconds. Well, when you're waterfowl hunting, not only do you have your buddies that rib you like Laird over here constantly, <laughs> and then we have the true shooters over here between Chad and me. <clears throat> it's just, uh, it's just exciting. I mean, you know, 
and it's an art. You know, shotgunning is an art. If I'm shooting a leopard, I, there's no lead, right? If I'm shooting him on the crease, one third up, depending on the bullet you're using. But when you're waterfowl hunting, you know, if he's crossing right to left, you know, you got this lead. It depends on what the wind is. It's just an exciting time. I, I love it. I wake up like a six year old every morning when it's time to go duck or goose hunting. And, uh, while I love all the experience, whether I get none or, or as many as you, the limit allows, you know, it's just fun, but having to limit, being able to shoot is what's, is what's part of that experience. So, you know, we're not, we don't look forward to days where there's zero and there's very, very, very few of them. Laird, you're, you're about to talk, but you're the CEO of Safari Club. I'm the CEO of Safari Club International and the foundation as well. So and he's Brooke the president is, of the, of the foundation. And he's my boss. He's your boss. And he he's, reminds me of that often. And, and me. Yeah. Don't, um, don't forget that. Um, <laughs> but you're from Mississippi, Laird. Yep. And one of your favorite saying is DDT, deer, ducks, turkey. Yeah. 100%. And you, and again, you've hunted everything. So you're going into telling me like how I get it. You're a Mississippi boy at heart. But when you can go to Afghanistan and all over the world to hunt where you've hunted, I think you've hunted in 70 countries, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I've taken over 200 species. I'm in the 230s now. And, and a white-tailed deer is one species. So then they're tell showing them, me this. Tell them about that ring there. Yeah. World Hunting Club. Right? It's the World Hunting Award ring. So you got to take 219 different species just to get this ring. And, and there's only 90 of us that have done it. I guess 95 after the awards banquet last night. Worldwide? Worldwide. How yeah. many Americans have, do you know? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. That's because I know. So how does a duck get you so excited when you wear that ring? I'm telling that's the way I was raised. I mean, I didn't wake up, you know, a kid from Mississippi that was not brought up in wealth that, you know, we, we all we had to hunt was deer, ducks, and turkeys. And, and I didn't wake up thinking I was going to shoot four lions and three leopards and you know, a dozen plus elephants and shred stags in New Zealand or buffalo, water buffalo down in Argentina or anything in Europe or, you know, Ibex in Spain. I didn't think about that when I was a kid growing up. All I wanted to do was hunt deer, ducks and turkeys and, and SCI and, and all it does for advocacy and conservation was kind of a progression as I grew up and got out of college, got married, had a family and, and wanted to do things, you know, bigger and better. And that's, it's kind of what we what we did and where we are, but that's just you know the way I was raised and duck hunting and goose hunting and and just hanging out with Rock Merlot over at Merlot Waterfowl in California. That was just a fantastic hunt and and all that was involved. And you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. Weather was a big part. We hunted three days and we had two you know good days and then we had one off the chart epic fantastic day you know yeah, we did that and it's all about the weather the, yeah and that has a lot to do with it and um they're in a flyway that um that's got the birds where we're from you know the central fly, flyway for mississippi and arkansas and all that you know we feel they're they're shifting a little bit and the weather has to push them down out of the dakotas and out of nebraska and oklahoma and all that kind of good stuff so we we normally don't get our best duck hunting until january but, you know, it's a social sport in between duck calling, you're talking, yeah. you're ribbing each other, you know, you're, you're giving each other a hard time and, and cutting up and it's all in good fun. And, and, you know, Brooke and I cutting up is all in good fun too. Cause he knows he can't shoot as well as I can, but we do, you know, we <laughs> wanna, just can't get over how but, good a shot I am. But, Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's that, that old, that old thing with the boss, you know, you have to let your boss win at golf when you play golf, that type of deal. We have to let your boss win at shooting, you know, that type. So that's, that's where we are. Is on this, this the Chad Belding show or the, Bro or the <laughs> Beat Brooke Manx up, Sean. I was wondering. I think we're going to retitle it. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> Rabbits and squirrels was my deal. There wasn't any DDWT or whatever. DDT. DDT. That's an old wrestling move, too. But what, Laird and Brooke, what, 
When did it change for SCI? I, I'm from Reno, Nevada, and the history of SCI in Reno is very, you know, very thick. We've had the convention there for a lot of years before yep. it moved to Vegas, yeah. and then you moved it out here to to Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, USA. This is the best thing you've ever done in your career, probably. I don't know your whole career, but <laughs> moving it here is such a great feat. Um, Blind hog finds an acorn. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but why, why Laird Hamberlin? When did it change for SCI? Because I never thought of being a member of SCI when I started my duck hunting career, which later in life at, at 27 years old, I went to the convention, but I never had aspirations of going to Africa. And that's what I always thought SCI was. Mm-hmm. Was it? Or did, is it just, is the message changed? No, I, I think the message has changed part is part of it. I mean, Safari Club International, Safari, you know, is a Swahili word for journey. And it doesn't matter if it's a journey from one city to the next one county to the next one state to the next you know from the u.s to canada and mexico or one continent to go hunt in europe or africa or whatever it's it's a journey and and that's what it's all about and i think sci was kind of in in the old days and still is uh, very much on the advocacy side and didn't really get out as much as they needed to into the general population and then we had a, a huge growth in our chapters because the chapters have banquets and fundraisers in their cities and just compared to other organizations, 70% of the funds raised that are raised at those local banquets stay in the local areas. 30% goes towards advocacy in the Hunter's Embassy up in Washington, D.C. But we've started to get the word out more. We've started to get the messaging out. SEI was kind of helping other organizations with their messaging and, and help get sheep on the mountain or get, you know, goats over here or doing something else with roe deer in Europe or Ibex in Kajikistan. And we were kind of the ones in the background helping do that. But then we kind of had a, a seismic shift and we go, wait a minute, why do we need to be in the back of all this? Why can't we be, why do we need to lead from behind? Why can't we lead from in front? And that's kind of where SCI is is going. And what it's done is instead of pushing everybody from behind and leading them where where they should go and, and trying to help them get there. We're now taking the reins and leading the, the whole. That's right. Well, yeah. In the, in the hunting world, frankly, SCI is the leader. I mean, yeah. our, our mantra is for the SCI side, first for hunters, which that's advocacy and lobbying, right? And then on the foundation side, we're first for wildlife. All about conservation, sustainable use, hunting, conservation, legal, ethical, all that, of course. We're totally in support of that. And then education. We've got to educate not only our hunters, but the most important thing is we've got to educate the 80% in the middle who do not hunt but do support hunting if it's done in the correct manner, which is what we're all about promoting. And we've got conservation projects all literally all over the world, whether it's a, a leopard survey that we're working on in Botswana or we're considering doing a survey of uh, mountain lions in Texas or we're dealing with grizzly bears and black bears in the Yukon and the lower 48. Uh, we've, got, we've got our hands in everything to try and d- do what we can to promote and continue sustainable use conservation. Most people, That's where it's at. Yeah, most people don't realize that 60% of the funds that we spend out there on conservation and projects around the world are spent right in the United States. 
So they, everybody thinks, oh, we're raising all this money to do stuff in Africa and do that. We're raising money for advocacy and conservation with the majority of it, 60%, as I said, spent right here in the U.S. of A. Yeah, Missouri black bear, Louisiana yeah. black bear. We just had a great one in Louisiana. You- They're going to have their first hunting season. They opened up um, about black bear hunting in Louisiana, just announced a couple of days ago. And you were your advocacy and your lobbyists were a big part of it. Oh, Regina Lennox uh, and Maria Davidson. Maria Davidson on the biology side and the foundation side, Regina Lennox on the SCI advocacy legal side. They're the ones that really put that together and made it happen. And that's the kind of thing that nobody knows about. You know, we've got eight attorneys on staff at SCI. You can't, I I call them critter clubs, and I'm a member of all of them, by the way, and they're all great organizations, by the way, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, DU, Mule Deer, Wild Sheep, GSC, all of them. And like I said, I'm a member of all of them, but I call them critter clubs. But you can't add up all of those critter clubs together and find eight attorneys working for there. That And so we're the ones, again, out front that are helping try to get things over the line. And some people can't. They can't do any kind of advocacy work. A good example of that, CSF, Congressional Sportsman Foundation, fantastic organization, works with, you know, the politicians in D.C. Jeff Crane's their leader up there. Richard Childress is their chairman this year. Great organization. But they're, C, they're C3, so they can't do advocacy work. So they're having to find other ways in which – you know, that they can get the help that we need to protect hunting and make sure that, you know, the first for hunters and, and all the bills and all that are, are making sure there's nothing being snuck in there. And because that happens a lot. But, you know, we're able to take the legal side of it, whether it's, you know, in Europe, we've got two lawyers over there, Juan and KK, that, that kind of make sure that we're looking after all the stuff that happens uh, on the European side. And we got the other attorneys here in the States that are looking at trophy band imports and things that might be going on in Africa or Asia or anything like that. But eight attorneys on staff, that's what all they do all day long is look at state and federal issues as it relates to hunters. We're going to break here for a few commercials. I'm fired up. I appreciate y'all being here. Really, where are the ducks? It's the question all waterfowlers really want to know. Where are the ducks? Are the counts consistent? Are they legitimate? Are there really that many mallards in these flyways? If so, where are the mallards? It's time to figure out where they are. Most people that consistently hunt Arkansas locals will tell you they don't get nearly the amount of mallards that they once did. But that's the problem right there. You're looking in the same place for the same information. And it's kind of like insanity. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. All my buddies are saying the ducks have shifted. The flyway has shifted. The foul life's S. SCI Foul Thoughts is brought to you by Safari Club International, Mickey Thompson Tires, Napa Valley Olive Oil, and Avery Outdoors. This episode of the Foul Life's SCI Foul Thoughts with Chad Belding, Laird Hamberlin, and Brooke Minx will return in a moment. We'll be right back. This season went by so fast. It was a different season. It was weird. The migration was slow. But all I can think about are the good times, the high fives, the smiles, and my Benelli's. I absolutely love having a Benelli by my side. I mainly shoot the Super Black Eagle 3 and 12-gauge left-handed, 26-inch barrel. I know that they have the M2 left-handed 20-gauge waiting for me in the truck when we're in the flooded timber. And I can't wait for the future to see where this SBE3 line goes. So far, the 20-gauge, the 28-gauge, and the right-handed models, you can't go wrong 
with Benelli. It truly is simply perfect. It is the best waterfowling duck and goose hunting gun on the planet. There's not a second. The Super Black Eagle 3 Series in 12 gauge, 20 gauge, and 28 gauge. I'm telling you, get one in your hands. Make sure that you can depend on your firearm. And that's exactly what Benelli is. It's totally reliable, simply perfect for the duck and goose hunter. I can't wait for next season. I'm Chad Belding with the Fowl Life Television. Thank you, Benelli. Looking for a high-quality truck accessory that's built to last? Look no further than Lear. With over 50 years of experience in the industry, these guys know what it takes to make your ride look and perform its best. Whether you're looking for a fiberglass or aluminum cap, a hard or soft cover, or accessories to customize your truck, Lear's got you covered. Their products are made with only the best materials, and their innovative features provide added convenience and security for truck owners. Head over to Lear.com to explore their range of products and take your driving experience to the next level. We are in and out of our gun safes all year round. Whether it's trap shooting, clay shooting, practicing for the upcoming duck season, our rifles, our shotguns, our muzzle loaders, our handguns, we depend on Secure It to store our firearms year round in our shops, our garages, our trailers while we're on the road. Their fast box mentality in our house gives us the advantage to protect our families, to protect our dwellings. And that's exactly what the Second Amendment is all about. It's not about showing off our gun safe. It's about being accessible and safe. And that's exactly what Secure It does. It gives us the advantage on a daily basis. I believe in Secure It. Everything that the brand is building, I can't wait for the future. Check them out at secureitgunstorage.com. You cannot go wrong with their storage systems for all of your firearms. Tell them Chad Belling and the Foul Life crew sent you. Thank you very much. If you're tired of settling for second-rate gear that doesn't perform when it counts, look no further than Bandit, the ultimate choice for hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. From top-of-the-line hunting jackets to ultra-comfortable, meticulously crafted waders, Bandit has everything you need to take your outdoor game to the next level. Their gear and innovations are anything but average, designed to give you the edge you need to succeed. But it's not just their gear that makes Bandit stand out. Bandit accessories like their backpacks, blind bags, gun cases, and more are built to withstand anything the outdoors can throw at you. Head to Bandit.com and experience the difference for yourself. Choose Bandit and dominate the outdoors like never before. We started American Almond Beef with the mentality to be different, to set ourselves apart, and that's the road that we're on. Our feedlots are clean. Our feed is different. Our approach to making sure that our cattle and steers are raised right. There is a story behind American Almond Beef. Northern California ranchers and farmers, the almonds, the commodity business, everything coming together to provide a feed that allows for this marbling, the flavor, the texture, the finish. American Almond Beef is where it's at. I'm telling you, get an order placed, try it for yourself, and you will not go back to regular store-bought beef. AmericanAlmondBeef.com Thank you very much for the support. We can't wait for you to try it. The Pecos Mentality. Living off the land. Scouting these birds. Hunting them hard. Being ethical. Clean. Harvestable shots. The calling. The dog work. The decoys. The concealment. Everything that goes into it. And then the butchering. The processing. The bounty. Being around a table with friends and family. That's what Pecos Outdoors stands for. We're honored to be part of the Pecos family. Bone appetite, And let's celebrate the hunt together. 
Welcome back to the Foul Life's SCI Foul Thoughts with Chad Belding and special guests, Safari Club International and Safari Club International Foundation CEO, Laird Hamberlin and Safari Club International Foundation President, Brooke Minx. Laird, you're about to talk, but you're the CEO of Safari Club. I'm the CEO of Safari Club International and the foundation as well. So and he's Brooke the president is, of the foundation. Yeah, he's my boss. He's your boss. And he he's, reminds me of that often. And, and me. Yeah, don't, um, don't forget that. <laughs> Hunting is all about conservation, the harvest, the camaraderie, and the smack talk that comes with it. Laird, were you being serious when you kept telling Brooke that you were the one shooting all the geese and he was probably missing most shots? I know he was missing most shots. Brooke can talk all he wants. I know for a fact that I was having to back him up. It was a little embarrassing, I think, there for a long time. I need to help this brother out. That is such bull****. (laughs) I mean, come on, dude. I'm right in the middle. All I know is the geese are falling in front of me. He's a legend in his own mind. I can can give him that he's a good shot. Let me me ask you. He's not as good as me. The Foul Life's SCI Foul Thoughts with Chad Belding and special guests Laird Hamberlin and Brooke Minx is proudly brought to you by Safari Club International. Secure it. High-vis sites. Bandit brands. Oakley sunglasses. Lear toppers. And Corning Ford. Here's the guys. You're laying in a goose decoy spread in California. California's got a pretty bad reputation when it comes to hunter rights and politics against hunting, anti-hunting, um, the sin tax, they called it. I saw some news this morning, I believe you guys probably know already, but I guess that a judge is, is intercepting that. Um, I don't know all the details. I just saw a quick blurb this morning. Um, but black bears, mountain lions, bobcats, trapping, you name it, it's gone through and started in California and kind of spreads eastward in a lot of ways. How awesome is California, though, for the outdoorsmen? People need to see it. They need to experience this. They, I mean, they, you fly into Sacramento and come a little bit north. It's a sportsman's paradise, right? It's amazing. I mean, I'll literally fill in behind me, I'm sure. You can't never runs out of words. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I said 40 years ago I was a guide, I, that was on the Katy Prairie, the Eagle Lake Prairie, the Lissy Prairie, the Garwood Prairie, Egypt, all there just west of Houston about an hour, which unfortunately half of what I just mentioned is now all homes and office buildings. Very sad. Used to be tens of thousands, actually probably hundreds of thousands. I think it was close to a million acres in rice. And now we don't, we don't have that rice anymore. Not like we used to. So like you had been talking, you know, things have moved. Geese have moved. They don't come down at, at uh, Texas as much as they used to waterfowl do but you know one thing i wanted to tell you chad about when you talked about waterfowl with the foundation education is a big element those are two pillars for us conservation and education and we've just recently partnered with delta waterfowl uh, in a program that's called the university hunting program it's exactly a program that we were going to do until i found out my good friend john davis uh, director of development for delta waterfowl was already doing this program. And so when you say, well, what makes waterfowl so exciting? It's the easiest entry into hunting there is in a social aspect. You know, I could, you can go do squirrel hunting, but you're going to be by yourself. You go rabbit hunting, you may be walking through the forest with two or three people, maybe. But when you're waterfowl hunting, you, know, you could have five to seven, eight people. And if you're goose hunting, you could have a lot more than that. And so, it's our job to educate those people like I talked about and to let everybody know the good things that are happening. Well, the wildlife managers, the ranch managers, the biologists, all these people, these kids that are in college and respectfully kids uh, that are in college that are in these programs, 90% of them don't hunt. So 
we get them out there, and Delta does, and we're, we're a supporting partner now. We're in over 100 universities headed towards 300, which means we're educating these people that didn't hunt. We're taking them out on a hunt. They do a hunter safety course. They do a, a shooting safety course. They do shooting day. And then they go on a hunt on a real good duck hunt. Cause, you know, it wouldn't be, you can't take five people to go on a elk hunt. Right. So it's just such an entry, easy entry into the hunting world. And now these people, when we survey them afterwards, 80 percent of them are still hunting and they're looking for more places to hunt. So education is a big thing that we do. Right, Larry? Yeah. And I think that we need to educate the general public about hunting in California, because I tell you, California gets a bad rap about, you know, they're the left side of the world or whatever you want to call them. And they're the land of fruits and nuts and all that kind of good stuff. And there are some fantastic people in California. And, and, and look, they've got those type of people I just mentioned earlier everywhere. But they California, because of its liberal policies, have kind of been tagged the most. But you get outside of Sacramento and it's just like, you know, farmland where I'm from. I mean, it's just, you know, I mentioned Rock Merlot earlier. He's doing the same thing our farmers were back home in Mississippi. I mean, it's just a farming community, and hunting is a big way of life out there. Well, the thing in California that that I was going to tag into the geese moving out of Texas and Louisiana and staying up in Arkansas is I'd never been to California hunting. And when you said waterfowl hunting, the only thing I'd seen was all the basins drying up and no ducks. I'm like, what waterfowl hunting? Well, man, was I in for a shock. Because once you get off that plane in Sacramento and you travel for, oh, it might only be 45 minutes headed out to, the, what was it, the Northwest, I think it was. Yep. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm back, I feel like I'm back in the Katy Prairie. There's rice fields everywhere. And what sets you apart in California from others that farm rice is you do it differently. You place a lot of water on the rice fields to decompose the rice straw that you've actually, when they've harvested the rice, it turns almost into cotton i mean you can see it there so so they have to get water on their fields and then they move it from field to field but nonetheless there's an incredible amount of water in rice fields out there in that area you got rice a lot of it you got water you got a lot of it you got what you got there the amount of speckled bullies is unbelievable i think the limit's 10 the canadas i mean snow geese everywhere ross geese and then of course Almost every other flooded flat that you see, there are swans. Of course, you can't. I guess you can't hunt swans out there, but they're everywhere. It's uh, it, it truly is. Uh, it reminded me of the 1980s in Texas. It was it's a waterfowl mecca out there. And pintails. Oh my gosh, the pintails <laughs> to walk across them. Oh, I know. And you're you know you're duck hunting. You know, in the afternoon, deer or, or uh, goose hunting in the morning. And, you know, you have these, these ducks come in and there's like six widgeons and three till and yeah, good mixed five, pack. five pintail in there. And all you're thinking to yourself is the lemon is one pintail and don't shoot the pintail. Don't shoot the pintail. So you're trying to, it, it makes it even more challenging. So you're having to say, okay, I'm going to get the teal out of this group or I'm going to get the, uh, the widgeon out of this group. Cause those are the fast flyers that are flying with the pintails, you know, when they come in like that. But my word, there's pintails everywhere. Yeah, there everywhere. are nothing like blue wing teal though. Yeah. Ooh, I love blue wing. The rumor is that the, the spring limit's going to go up this coming season. Well, so good. here's what I know. Uh, John Davis, Delta waterfowl, they've been working on this for a long time. And it's my understanding from him 
that the limit in Texas, and maybe it'd be federally as well, and it's just not limited because it's a federal species, right, migratory. He said it's going to three, and it could go to more because the pintails, It's hunters don't have any effect on the pintail population is what the research has shown. What happened is, is the pintails where they nest, which is out on the prairie, the no-till farming ends up destroying the pintail's nest. That's what's happening in Canada. That's why there aren't the number of pintails. But if you look, the population of pintail is pretty just flat. So the government, federal government, Fish and Wildlife Service, having determined that, well, hunters really aren't having an impact. That's why these uh, the limits are going up. And the thing that gets me where I'm from, you know, down in Mississippi where we hunt, it doesn't, as I studied earlier, it doesn't get cold and the birds don't get pushed down until really January. You got your early flights that are there for the opening weekend. That's the weekend after Thanksgiving. And you know, you might have some local birds down there that are just down there every year. But the real new birds that get pushed down, it doesn't happen to January. We're like, why can't we have the season go into February? And that would be perfect. Not open it up in November or not even December or maybe the middle of December and just do, you know, January, February. We're told, and I don't know, you know this, this is your Billywick, uh, Chad is that they're paired up by February and that you would upset the apple cart as it relates to the breeding and them migrating back north if you if you extended the season into February. Yeah. But the the best time to go hunting where we are is the youth hunt because that's the weekend after the season closes. Yeah. You know, we and, used, those are in, and those are in February. Yeah, we used to we used to have our youth season op- before the opening of the season. Yeah, so did we in Texas. And, and it was great because the kids didn't get cold and all that kind of good stuff. But now, but there's just no, in most cases, no birds yet. In some cases, water. A lot of people had issues with water this year. But, you know, now we've moved it to after the season closes and it's in the first weekend of February and they're just having a blast. And the kids are, that's what it's all about is to get the kids and, you know, even if the weather's great or even if you don't have as much water as you need, by the time it happens in February, they're going to be shooting ducks. And that's what you want them to do. There's a lot of factors that go into the question, where are the ducks? Where have the ducks gone? And that's a whole other conversation for another podcast. But this year specifically, I mean, there was feeds of 5,000 Canada geese in Saskatchewan the week after Christmas. Oh, wow. So if you think about the amount of birds that were still north of the border, because no snow, the temperatures were very mild until almost mid-January up there. That's right. Places that I'm used to consistently going to in December and January, like Wyoming, Montana, South Dakota, all over Nebraska and the Platte River, they just didn't get their birds until the very end of the season. So the factors that go into that question, where are the ducks? But there is an argument out there of really, where are the ducks? Are the counts consistent? Are they legitimate? Are there really that many mallards in these flyways? If so, where are the mallards? I know there's some in Oklahoma, but the people in Arkansas will tell you that they never get they never get the mallards they used to. The guys in Louisiana will tell you straight up, we don't get nearly the ducks that we used to get. Southeast Missouri, Mississippi, it's always the same rhetoric. So there, it is a, a conversation for later, but there is, there's got to be some answer to it. Because when you're talking about raising the limit of pintails, and I understand what Mr. Brooks said, that it doesn't have anything to do with hunting. I understand the effect of that. But really, where are the ducks? When you go to other states, you don't see the pintails that you see in California. You don't see the amount of specks. You go to Arkansas, you see a lot of specks. But where, really, where are they? I understand that there was good hatches last year of speckle bellies. Snow geese this spring should be very awesome in the reverse migration. But there is a question. 
where are the ducks? And if you go out and, and, and listen to what's being said by several people, research, science, biology, um, there, it's time to figure out where they are because now there's talks of will our seasons be affected? Are we going to go to a 40-day season in Arkansas instead of 60? Is the limit going to be brought down? Are we going to have parameters put on this lifestyle because the research hasn't kept up with what they're telling us? And there's people that are really like intuitive to it of where are they? Because you don't see the ducks. When you go to Arkansas and you look at and you hear the stories of what Arkansas once was, most people that consistently hunt Arkansas locals will tell you they don't get nearly the amount of mallards that they once did. But that's the problem right there. You're at looking in the same place for the same information. And it's kind of like insanity. You keep doing the same thing over and over again, you know, analogy. They're going to Arkansas and going, which Stuttgart, all of Arkansas, great place to hunt and all that kind of good stuff. And they're going, oh, we don't have any ducks down here. What, all my buddies are saying they, the ducks have shifted. The flyway has shifted because they are just absolutely get limiting out every day. And they think that, you I know. In, I was in Arkansas for three days this year and first part of December and we limited out every day. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's off the Biomeda or Biomeda, however you want to pronounce Biomeda. it. Biomeda. Biomeda. Yeah. And I yeah. think the, the, I think the flyway shifted, and I think people are struggling with that. Oh, I've had this same blind for three generations, and it's you know. I, I'll tell you what, though, it's it's so driven by weather, because it used to be you know talking about forty, thirty, twenty years ago. I mean, you could set your watch by when the geese were going to show up and the ducks were going to show up. We used to start in mid October for geese, and of course, ducks were right there at the beginning of November for us. We have two splits when I say we Texas, but now. It's different. I mean, we do during the first split have a pretty good season, but the second split is determined by the weather, by the cold weather that moves down. And we don't get that cold weather until, what, this year, mid-January? Sometimes it's February. I mean, it never freezes in Houston, but the last three years in late January and early February, it's frozen. And then I hear from the, the outfitters that are out there, oh, my gosh, you can't believe the number of ducks that are down here now. Oh, 100%. So, I mean, Brooke, but, to back but, up. But to just finish, to your point, all the people that I hunt with are all scratching their heads saying the same thing. Winners the duck. And it's, and I'm not saying that that's going, I'm just saying that there is talk and a discussion going on, but you're right. I mean, my good friend Steve Biggers in El Campo, the, the amount of ducks in Texas, unreal. I think it has something to do with the amount of water in North Texas and Kansas and Oklahoma. Like the, the drought really affected some of that. 100%. Ducks flew over. But first off, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes because I know I've, I've seen your schedule here, Laird and Brooke, <laughs> and you guys are literally running like Olympians all through, the, like you, you got another podcast right after this and then you split to go do the same tables lunch and i mean you guys are busy so thank you but let's end with rocky um how special is merlot waterfowl as an operation the guides bailey fritter and riley and zane and all of them rock merlot is their leader um i want to talk about their work ethic um i want to talk about that camaraderie that we discussed of I, i've never hunted with brooke but as soon as we get there I mean, we're it's giving each other, we're just, you know, on. just smack talking right away, you know, and you become fast friends. I think you can become better friends with somebody you bet. faster in a duck blind than you can in a golf cart or in a deer blind, right. obviously deer, you're alone, but anywhere else in the world, duck camp is so special to me. It's so sacred to me, but how special is Merlot waterfowl? And then just talk a little bit about that meal that we had. I know that you cooked your teal <laughs> recipe that was amazing. The lemon pepper teal, but that speckle belly goose, the layout at Rockies. The celebration of the hunt. And that's what the SCI convention is to me. When I walk through these halls, I'm like, wow, what a cool lifestyle. This yeah. is so neat that we get to live like yeah. this. He's been out there more than I have. I've it. been there one time. Let me just make it just a short statement. I mean, Rock and his whole crew, those guides are tip top. 
I was impressed by their speckle belling calling because the way they call specks there in California is nothing like we call them in Texas or in Louisiana or in Arkansas. And those guys, I, I think one guy you said was actually world champion, but he was very uh, timid, oh. timid about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they, those that a great organization, first class hunt. Driven out there in four wheelers, you know, the only reason you might step in the water is if you made a bad mistake on your own. Otherwise, you're just stepping into a dry pit blind with a top. But I've been there once, Laird. You've been there more. What yeah, I, I think uh, Rock is top shelf and, and he's got the property to hunt and he's got the equipment, you know, the guides out there. I mean, they, they're out there scouting just like any other hunting outfit. They're out there scouting the next day, trying to figure out are the geese going to dry land, wet land, you know, combination of both. They're, they've got the program down pat and they know based on the wind and the weather of all different types, rain, that kind of thing to, to do what you need to do to make it successful. And I can't talk enough about the Merlot waterfowl. And Rock's here at the convention, and uh, he's never been here before, and we talked him into coming, and he's like, holy shit, I had no idea. Well, the, know, whole, the whole thing was, you know, to take my kids out there, to take Colin and McKenzie. McKenzie's 24. She loves to hunt, whether it's four-legged or, or waterfowl. She really loves waterfowl. And, or, or my son, Colin. It was all about them, and I can tell you that they had an absolutely fabulous time. Awesome. Uh, and you know, thank you for the gun that they ended up. Benelli. ended up, yeah, Benelli, a very nice gun. Took me a little while to figure out since I'm a, I was, I shoot a Beretta. That was Laird's fault. That gun's been at Laird's house and is in his I, safe for like oh eight months. Oh my gosh! I, I knew, I, I knew that. the wrong address. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what. That's a that's a good gun. That's, that's a super great, black Eagle three twenty gauge in oh, camo, twenty six inch barrel. Get ready. Well, let me tell you what I'm doing with mine. I just got a new one now, and I'm sending mine to Rob Roberts. I'm going to get mine. Wasn't straight. he a blast to have? He was. Yeah, a, he was a lot of fun to have in the blind. He's that got day. some cool guns, and he's a oh, cut up man. Hell yeah, man, he we, is. We decide to pose for a picture. We're all standing there holding ducks. What's he do? Lay down in front of us and yeah. like this. <laughs> he was in Vegas last week for Shot Show, and you talk about a fish out of water. Oh really? You take a backwoods Arkansas guy and put him in Vegas, <laughs> and I mean, it's just like he needs to come to this. Rob Roberts, thank you for what you do. Rock Merlot, what Laird said and what Brooks said, my sentiments exactly. Thank you. Riley, always, Riley. All, Riley, Bailey, Zane, the entire crew, they roll out the red carpet. Miss Diane, the dinners, the food, the speckle belly is my absolute favorite. Skin on, reverse seared, crispy skin. Your teal was so, so the, the, the way that you cooked that was so good. Every bite was a morsel. Like people were fighting over them, but take care of your food. Take care of your bounty, the butchering, the processing. Um, you, you, you said the word earlier, Mr. Brooks, sustainability, 365 degrees of encompassing from that landowner that farmer is growing that rice to feed the world and then we knock on his door and say can we hunt the ducks that your rice is feeding and then we shoot a duck and then we feed it to our family and it just comes full circle and it is it, like i'm getting goosebumps no pun intended like this convention's awesome this lifestyle is awesome. Jason Aldean, thank you for last night. What a freaking concert at the Bridgestone Arena right here on Broadway in downtown Nashville. The 52nd annual Safari Club International Convention at Music City Center. We will be back in Nashville in January of 2025. For the next 10 years, actually. Next 10 years. Can you imagine? Thank you, Laird Hamberlin, President and CEO of SCI, the CEO of the SCI Foundation, Mr. Brooke Minks, M-I-N-X. He is the president of the SCI. CI Foundation. Get involved in both. You heard it from both gentlemen today. They are different and they both have unbelievable goals that they're putting hunters first and fighting for our rights every day.
day. And when you wake up and you get to go get on that boat ramp in Arkansas or that Missouri River in far in in western uh, North Dakota out of Bismarck, and you see all those ducks and you see all those geese and that coffee and that steam and that dog and and Mother Nature and the man upstairs at its best, the glory of the hunt. Please understand that there's people like Brooke and Laird and their entire organization here at Safari Club and SCIF Safari Club International Foundation that are fighting for our rights relentlessly when you're on that boat ride, when you're walking out of the woods with that strap full of ducks or, or dragging that Rocky Mountain elk off a mountain in Utah. It is an amazing organization, safariclub.org. How do we get involved in SCIF before we leave the foundation? Uh, you, uh, Laird, you can take this, but it's easy to just go to the website and you'll, you'll be able to click. Is it a different website than Safari Club? Yeah, same thing. You can go to safariclub.org. You can click on the foundation section there and get involved. Uh, the foundation's a C3, SEI C4. Love to have you involved. The chapters out there, the majority of the chapters are C4, raising money to keep locally to do things with ducks and with elk and, and with mule and, and, and everything look, else. Look here. $5 matters. Five dollars does matter because Brooke needs to buy more ammo. So, if, <laughs> if, if, if we can, yes, he does. Brooke, Brooke thank you, hey, Mr. Brooke. Give me a high five. Thank I was you. Shooting all the layers. Laird, thank you, thank Chair. You. Good thank you, you, Chad. This has been an amazing experience. And look, you're going to hear this podcast soon. Get your hotel rooms and get registered for the convention next January 2025. It is a spectacle, and I've never seen energy like this in a hunting convention. There's a lot of good ones like Laird touched on, but this, like what Forbes magazine called it, the Super Bowl of hunting. Thank you all for another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, Safari Club's Foul Thoughts. For Laird Hammerlin, Brooke Meeks, I'm Chad Belding, coming at you live from Music City Center in downtown Nashville at the 52nd annual Safari Club International Convention. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the podcast. We'll be back with more great guests in episode soon appreciate you that's it for today's episode of the foul life's sci foul thoughts with host chad belding and special guests laird hamberlin and brooke minx of sci and the sci foundation thank you all for another episode of the foul life podcast safari clubs foul thoughts for laird hamberlin brooke minx i'm chad belding thank you all for listening to this episode of the podcast we'll be back with more great guests in episode soon appreciate you listen to every episode of the foul life's sci foul thoughts by heading to the or one of your favorite streaming platforms like soundcloud iheart and Spotify. And to become a member of Safari Club International, head for safariclub.org. Thanks for listening and always keep it foul.